Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Hello, this is episode number 28 and Bible study part 5, the Old and New Tabernacle. And uh, that we're going to continue the Bible study series today and um, I'm going to be talking about the, the tabernacle that Moses, uh, or God set up through Moses, you know, after they went through the uh, Red Sea, which uh, we talked about last time. But first, I would like to discuss a little bit about subliminal messaging. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a way to use media in a in such a way to spark or trigger people to maybe do things or believe things or want things <laughs> and they don't realize why, you know, they just it it's it's a clever way and it's used a lot in com- you know, like commercializing and and selling things and uh, you know I find that to be somewhat innocent in a sense but it can also be used in a very corrupt and dangerous way Um, somewhat you know to to manipulate the way people believe you know and things like that which I think is is a lot more corrupt one of my favorite Columbo episodes. I'm a big fan of the Columbo series if you haven't seen it, but um, he, he there's an episode that gets into subliminal messaging and it shows a video of I guess it's like a horse race uh, and it's so fast you don't even see it. And uh, and they played it back slower and then you see a second, a split second where it flashes a, a hamburger. And Columbo was like trying to figure out what the purpose of that was. And they said, well, that way people, uh, <coughs> without knowing that they saw it, will want to get up and get some, get a hamburger, right? Um, they might do that with popcorn or something in the movie theater. Um, although oftentimes it's a lot more obvious, like they have the big commercial before of popcorn and, and soda and all that stuff. Um, and so, you know, there's the obvious commercials, but then sometimes they sneak things in there so fast that you don't even see it, but it's supposed to be seen by your subconscious mind. And, um, you know, this could also be used in mind control, in a sense. You know, uh, in in the more evil way, where they, um, you know, somewhat using hypnosis uh, and other th- methods um, to really manipulate people. You know, sort of a cultic kind of mind control kind of thing. Um, but you know, have you ever noticed like? I don't know if you've ever had this before, but like when I'm driving around 
if I know that there's a Starbucks in the neighborhood, sometimes I want, I have the impulse to just pull over and get some coffee, even if I already had coffee. <laughs> and, you know, it is kind of expensive there, but like, why is that? What, what is it about Starbucks, like, that I feel like every time I pass one, I have to pull over and get some coffee? You know, maybe there's a neighborhood I haven't been to very much and I see the Starbucks sign and I'm tempted to pull over and get some coffee, you know. Um, maybe there's something to that. Like maybe there's something to, I've heard colors can spark uh, something. I've heard that red, although Starbucks uses green and I'm not really sure what green does, but a lot of restaurants use red and apparently red uh, is equated to hunger. I, I, you know, I don't really know <laughs> if that's true or not, but you think of McDonald's, Wendy's, uh, Burger King's more orange, but like a lot of restaurants have red in the sign and, um, that might be something to that. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if you've ever noticed that, if, if there's any th time where you feel like an impulse, a sudden impulse to go somewhere, and we maybe we should think about that. Like, was there something maybe on the radio that flashed or something we were, you know, watching on TV or whatever that made us suddenly want something, you know? Um, and I want to talk a little bit about concerning this topic. There is a uh, podcaster, and I mentioned him, I think, in the last episode. The podcast is called The Subtle Cane Podcast, and I don't know if I said much about him. I was just, um, re you know, uh, promoting a few podcasters that I liked. Um, and uh, there's an episode called come on baby light my torch that I think is very fascinating so if you find the subtle cane podcast it's on Spotify and it might be on other platforms as well um, look for that one that was dated November 28th 2021 and um, he gives a, a story about a 20s you know advertising for these green cigarettes that were supposed to be for women and um, he discusses how um, the women, um, the, so, the, like there was another cigarette company that was successful at selling cigarettes to women. It was equated with the women's lib movement. But then there was one brand that had green cigarettes. And they were also doing this, but they could not sell the cigarettes because green clashed with the styles of the time. And so uh, the green cigarettes were not selling. And so they tried some strategies, one suggestion of changing the color of the cigarettes. And they said, no, we've already promoted this. We're not going to change that. Just, you know, um, and, and so they got some experts, people that were good at advertising and probably understood subliminal messaging. Um, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, but you'll have to listen to the episode yourself to get the details. But basically, they started a, a women's live movement. And the, the, the color of the signs and everything 
related to this women's lib movement was green. And it was created by somebody that wanted to, I want to say it was, uh, there was a, it was a son of a famous philosopher, and I'm not, it's not coming to mind right now, but, um, but whoever this was was trying to figure out a way to sell these green cigarettes. So they created this women's lib movement, these conventions that they would have. And the signs that were used to promote them had green in them. And after this, women started to buy these green cigarettes. And they went, you know, had a lot of success selling them. And um, I found this kind of interesting because, you know, I don't, you know, they didn't have to tell them, oh, these signs are green, so now, you know, go buy these green cigarettes. Somehow it just, you know, subliminally happened to where I don't think the women realized why they were suddenly started buying these green cigarettes. You know, but I, I find this a fascinating story, and it makes me wonder how much we are being manipulated today. You know, if they knew that 100 years ago, you know, about advertising, and they were probably still, a lot of this is fairly new, uh, especially media is new, so it's, it's at another level, and you can bet that they have figured out more and more ways of getting people to buy products and it's not always the most obvious way you think oh they make a commercial that tells you they're, they're the best you know but they have other ways too you know and um, maybe they get a celebrity to sponsor them and the celebrity starts to wear you know a certain product you know how many people bought Nike shoes because Michael Jordan sponsored them you know before Michael Jordan sponsored them they were not known as basketball shoes in fact they were kind of the laughing stock of tennis shoes before Michael Jordan sponsored them and then all of a sudden they became the most popular shoe in the world because the most popular basketball player in the world was wearing them and I have to admit I bought Nike shoes when I was a teenager and I don't know if it had to do with that this was in the 90s that I bought them, so maybe it's because that was already the popular thing to wear, um, you know. But anyway, I think I eventually switched to Reebok because my favorite player was Shaq, <laughs> and he promoted Reebok. But um, yeah, so another way to get people to, to buy things is, hey, your favorite celebrity wears these clothes you know or smokes this kind of cigarette or eats at this restaurant you know and why does that matter you know if you really think about it if you use your conscious brain why do we feel like we have to we want to do what our favorite celebrities are doing you know it really doesn't make a lot of sense but we do it we want to be like them you know, I want to be like Mike. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so I think maybe what I was describing there is a little bit more obvious than, say, the green cigarettes, where it just, you know, the the women's lib movement was not even, I don't even think they were talking about the cigarettes. It was a whole separate thing, but made by the same guy, 
trying to promote these cigarettes or sell these cigarettes. And um, somehow, in a totally seemingly unrelated event, other than a color, he got people to buy the cigarettes, right? So who knows how many different ways they have to convince us to buy what we need, you know, what they want to sell us, you know? And that's just advertising for products. How much do you want to bet? And I know this. The, 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 I don't even want to say how much do you want to bet. I, I'll say I know this is a fact. That through television and through media and even through celebrities speaking their voice, they can manipulate how people think. Let me give an example here. Um, before, you know, well, in recent years, the transgender thing has become mainstream. And uh, to the point where it's past that, and now there's like 72 genders, last time I heard. And a lot of the younger people in the, you know, teenagers, kids, feel like they have to be something. They have to be, you know, they can't be just a, you know, especially white males, you know, they have to be something else. And they call themselves, you know, cis, binary, non-binary, whatever it is, cis, gender, uh, all that stuff. And where did this all come from all of a sudden? I mean, obviously it's been here for a long time, but up until a few years ago, it was, it was sort of a fringe thing. You know, most people thought it was weird, even non-Christians. Non and why did that change all of a sudden? Well, I have a theory that it changed when Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn Jenner. Um, that, it was soon after that that Target changed their restroom policies to where you could go to uh, either of the restrooms that you choose chose. And um, so to me, you have this media reality show, right? That might very well have been the whole purpose of it was obviously at first to, to become popular and then to, uh, you know, to uh, promote this movement, you know, of transgender and the different genders and all this stuff, you know. Um, and so that's just an example, you know. Over the years, like in the 60s, you had rock bands that were doing drugs, right? And I think it was sort of this subliminal way of getting people to do drugs. You know, when they asked Paul McCartney, he didn't promote it. He just said, oh, yeah, I smoked LSD. Or not smoked, whatever they do to LSD, I don't know. Um, and he said, you know, he wasn't trying to, he said, I don't think people should be doing it. But the very fact that Paul McCartney did LSD and admitted that he did it probably made a lot of Beatles fans want to do LSD, you know. And could there have been some of that subliminal messaging going on there? I don't know. Uh, but I find that fascinating. Um, I am going to play a funny bit here. I haven't been doing this in a while, but I think it's related to what I'm talking about, uh, especially with the uh, the different genders. 
And somebody that I started listening to, a comedian in recent years, is Norm MacDonald. And he has this funny bit that's so politically incorrect in today's world. But I think he... <laughs> I think he's tr telling the truth here, and, uh, you know, um, so here it is. Here's a clip by Norm MacDonald uh, before we get into our main topic of the day. Do you know that, that you are a cis male? Have you ever heard of that term? A what? cis male? Cis male. C-Y-S-M-A-L-E. So what it means is that you are a man. You're born a man. Well, as far as you know. As far as I know. And you identify yourself as a man. Yes. That's a cis male. Now, I don't understand. Where does that... Is this a new phrase? Yes. It's a way of marginalizing a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love that joke. Um, I even put that on my OkCupid <laughs> because on the gender thing you could put just about anything all of the different ones that, that exist um, you know because I'm I've been looking for somebody to marry and all that stuff so I'm on OkCupid but uh, they only have two things you could put on there um, like that are called badges so to speak one is that you're pro-choice they don't have a pro-life badge and the other one is I'm vaccinated they don't have a I'm not vaccinated badge so anyway I'm sure that me putting that on my profile that I you know this joke that Norm Macdonald said is gonna weed out a lot of people that I probably don't want to date anyway <laughs> so Although right now I, I have it on hold because there's somebody I'm talking to and a good Christian lady that uh, also listens to Canary Cry Radio, which I'm a fan of, or Canary, Canary Cry News Talk. So we'll see where that goes. All right, so now for the topic of the day. We're talking about the uh, old tabernacle and the new tabernacle. And this might seem like a boring topic, but I promise you it's not. Uh, what we're going to look at first is the physical tabernacle that was set up by Moses. And uh, so when you enter, there, the, first there's the entrance gate, which leads into the outer court. And the very first thing that people see is the altar, the burnt offering um, for the animal sacrifices. And... Um, we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Reading from the ESV, verses 1 through 4, it says, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And we've talked about this before in the previous Bible study series videos, or podcast episodes um, how the lamb sacrifice and it says in this verse here that it, it, it's for atonement for them 
and that it represents uh, the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus, uh, who fulfilled the lamb sacrifices, right? Um, and so that's the first thing they saw when they came into the tabernacle. So they end, do, go through the entrance gate, and they're in the outer court, and the first thing they see is the, the burnt offerings. Past the burnt offering is what is known as the laver. And uh, I will read this in Exodus chapter 30, verses uh, 20, uh, 17 through 21. And once again, I'll use the ESV. Verse 17 says, The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze, with it stand of bronze, for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar of, to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring through their generations. Now, it doesn't say it here, but you can find it in scripture where Aaron is one of the Levites. Uh, Levite, uh, Levi was one of the sons of Israel, who was Jacob, who became Israel, and became one of the tribes. So the Levites were the ones that became the priests in the uh, Israeli covenant. And uh, so, so the second thing is called the, the laver, the bronze basin. Past that is a door. And the door leads into the holy place. So the first thing in the door is uh, the table of showbread. Exodus chapter 25. And I'm going to read verses 23 through 30 in the ESV once again. Uh, it says... You shall make a, ta a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length. Um, I'm not going to get into the dimensions here. Uh, overlaid with pure gold. Talks about how wide and all that stuff. Um, and the poles and the plates and dishes. Okay, verse 29. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings, you shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So this is known as the table of showbread. Um, did I mention that past the door is the holy place? I, I don't know if I mentioned that. And only priests could enter into the holy place in, this, uh, in the Israeli covenant. After this uh, table of showbread is what is called the menorah. And now I'm going to look at, you can read that um, in Exodus 25, 31 through 40. 
you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups. Uh, it gets into details. Uh, there shall be six branches going out of its side. Three branches of the lamp out of one side and the three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms. Uh, so it kind of gets into more detail there. Um, and uh, so so the, that's the next thing is the menorah, which is the candle uh, the, the candlestick with the six branches. Uh, the next thing is the altar of incense. Uh, Exodus 30, chapter, uh, verses 1, and then 6 through 9, I'll skip to. So Exodus 30, I'm looking at ESV once again. Uh, verse 1 says, You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it, and then it gets into detail of everything. Um, then I'm skipped to verse 6. It says, and you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. Uh, and Aaron shall uh, burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dresses the lamps. He shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall, not offer, you shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. So, the altar of incense is the third thing past the, in the holy place. And I just wrote these in, in a certain order, and I'm not sure if they're in this order or just all in that holy place. Um... But you can probably find pictures of the tabernacle set up online. So, um, so the next thing is the veil. And the veil divides the holy place from the uh, holy of holies. And only the high priest, there's one high priest, can enter this holy of holies. And inside the uh, holy of holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And um, I don't have verses for this, but I'm going to tell you, you know, you can look this up yourself. But in the Ark of the Covenant is the tablets of the Ten Commandments uh, and uh, Aaron's rod. Aaron, who was, you know, I think the brother-in-law or cousin of Moses, something like that, um, who was the father of the Levites, not the father of the Levites, but at this time when this was being set up, he was among the Levite tribe. And the golden pot of manna. Uh, so from the, you know, from Egypt, you know, if you, uh, I don't know if I discussed much of their time in the wilderness, I may have, after they got through the uh, Red Sea. But um, there was a time where they were out in the desert and hungry and God provided them manna from heaven or bread from heaven. And so, uh, so yes, this is the, the last part, the inner part, the Holy of Holies, that only the high priest could enter. 
Now, after this, we're going to dis start discussing that which is uh, the spiritual meaning of it. But I want to read, before we get to the song of the day, I'm going to read one more passage in Hebrews chapter 9. That's kind of a, a summary of these things. And this is in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews 9 in ESV once again. And verses 1 through 10. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent... Now the first covenant is the covenant of Moses, right? For a tent was prepared. Now the tabernacle was made by a tent. So, just wanted to... I, I don't think I mentioned that before. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of holy shadowing, the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly in the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional signs of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way of the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. So even Paul, or I, I assume this is Paul, it doesn't really say who the author of Hebrews is, says this is all of this, the tabernacle, the tent tabernacle, is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. And so what he's saying here in the book of Hebrews is that everything in the tabernacle is a physical uh, representation of spiritual truths. And after this song, we're going to uh, talk about those spiritual fulfillment of those things. And I also wanted to mention real quickly before we get to the song that I think that the reason the Holy of Holies was not allowed, like you you probably have heard stories about the Ark of the Covenant and if anybody opened it, in fact only certain people could even carry the Ark of the Covenant. And anybody else that touched it could fall over and die, right? And the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in once a year. So why was that? And I believe because the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. And because of our sin, uh, if we approached it in the Old Covenant, we would die. They would physically die. And so he was showing them that because of our sin, we can, 
they could not enter into the Holy of Holies. So the song that I'm going to play now, before I get into the spiritual meaning and the new covenant of, of the tabernacle, uh, is a song by Petra called Take Me In. Take the cold, cleanse my nose, 
Once again, that is Petra, uh, a song called Take Me In. They had an album called uh, Petra Praise. They had actually Petra Praise 2, Petra Praise 3. This was the first one. Uh, I was a big Petra fan in the early 90s. Uh, kind of had that, you know, late 80s heavy metal sound. Um, so check that out. Anyway, I, I, it's relevant to the topic, and so I thought I'd play that song. All right, so we're going to look at some of the spiritual meanings behind this tabernacle. And uh, I'm going to start with uh, the first thing, the entrance gate. And there's a verse, uh, chapter, um, Psalms 100. In the ESV, once again, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So he's talking about entering into the gates with thanksgiving and uh, coming into the courts with praise. So I, I thought I'd use that verse to talk about the, the entrance gate. The next thing is the altar, the burnt offering. And I'm going to read John chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, in ESV, once again. And verse 29 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Now this is John the Baptist in the context of it. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist is telling us that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so I think I've mentioned this before, like there was the sacrifice of Abel, there was the Lamb on the doorpost in, uh, in, the, in the Red Sea Cross, before the Red Sea Crossing. And then there's this Lamb sacrifice in the tabernacle. And I believe they all represent Jesus, as it says here. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the atonement comes from the Lamb of God, which is Jesus. The next thing is the laver, the brazen, the bronze ba basin. And uh, I'm going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And it says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now this is John the Baptist talking, I believe. The Pharisees were asking him what authority he had. But I kind of wonder because, you know, the the I might be, I don't know if other theologians make this comparison, but... In the brazen, you know, when you read about the uh, the uh, laver, that they would wash their hands, they would wash their feet, 
you know, and it's kind of a physical uh, example of a spiritual truth. And the water baptism is a similar thing. They would get dunked into this water. Uh, some people believe in uh, immersion, which is what I was raised as. Some believe in sprinkling, you know, whatever. But either way, it's water. And the word baptism, I'm going to look up the Greek word for baptism and see what it means. Okay, I, I wanted to look it up just to be sure because uh, I've looked it up before, but I wanted to. Baptizo is the Greek word where we get baptism. The, mean, the meaning of baptizo as cleansing and bathing refers to a ceremonial use of water for purification, which is common in various pagan rites in the ancient world, both Greco-Roman. Uh, and so I think of baptizo or baptism as similar to this labor thing that they had where they would wash their hands and feet. So anyway, I just thought I would make that comparison. But uh, in the verse that I read, it says, you know, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but there comes one after me who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so if you look at it as a physical and a spiritual, right? The physical is a washing of the body with water. The spiritual is washing of the, you know, washing the spirit and cleansing the spirit. And so, anyway, I wanted to point that out there. Next we got the door. This is the door leading into the holy place. And I would like to read John chapter 10, uh, verses 7 through 9. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, he's talking about a, <laughs> a door for a sheepfold, but, you know, maybe that's not a great example, but I... I thought I would read that, um, that Jesus is the door, you know, and I think there's some truth to that anyway, because the door into the holy place, right? Now, the only ones that can enter into the holy place are the priests. Well, this is interesting, because in Revelation chapter 1, uh, it says in verses 4 through 6, uh, it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who, sorry, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's declaring us as priests. And thus, we can now go into the holy place. Uh, now, what is in the holy place? First, you got this table of showbread. And John 6.35 uh, I'm going to read this passage here. 
it says okay my thing is being slow here verse 35 Jesus said to them I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst and so here is this show bread for the priests and um, in fact Jesus also says going down to verse 51 it says I am the living bread that came down from heaven if anyone eats of this bread he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh and this uh, there's also the passages about the Lord's table where he says I am you know I am the bread and I'm the, the this bread is my body and uh, this you know wine is my blood right so the next thing in the holy place that we talked about is the menorah which was a lampstand or a, a, a candlestick with six branches three going to each side so that's a total of seven candlesticks and I found this kind of interesting. I've never heard anybody else talk about this. And I even talked to my dad, who's a theologian, and he didn't really see, a, see that it was necessarily a connection. But I'm going to read it anyway. I think, I think it's very fascinating. Revelation 1, starting in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. I found it interesting that the, there was also seven. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like the white wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am, forever, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that, are, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now I want to go back to Matthew chapter 5. In verse 14, it said, Jesus is talking. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I find that very interesting um, in Revelation 1 going back to that um, let's see if I find where it says um, yeah in verse 13 
And in the midst of the lamb stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like the burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. So Jesus is the true light, and we reflect his light. If we are children of, of Christ, we reflect him, so we are the light of the world, the, you know, the representative of, of his light on earth. Um, so that's, I think that's a good spiritual uh, connection to the menorah. Uh, the next thing is the altar of incense. Psalms chapter 141, verse 2 says, Let my prayer be counted as, as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then we're going to go to Revelation. Once again, chapter 8, verse 4. Actually, I'll start in verse 3. Chapter 8, Revelation 8, starting verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers by the, of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So, uh... The prayers of our, you know, our prayers are like the incense to, towards God. And I think that that's what that altar of incense represents. Next we got the veil. There's a veil that uh, divides from the holy place to the holy of holies. Now in Matthew chapter 27... In verse 51, this is in the context of the death of Jesus. And it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And uh, I find that fascinating that it's at the death of Jesus that this veil is torn. And then I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 18. <clears throat> it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. Now this is talking about a different veil, but it's the same concept. Who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, but because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, if we remember, it was only the high priest that could enter the Holy of Holies once a year. 
And uh, I wanted to read this, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't think I mentioned this before uh, earlier, but um, around the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant is a mercy seat. And so I find that fascinating that he talks about uh, coming uh, to receive mercy in this in this uh, context. Now, what was inside the Ark of the Covenant again? First thing was the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to read John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Truly, tr this is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may glorify in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this com the commandments are... Uh, he, he tells us if we, if we love him to keep his commandments. The next thing that was in there was Aaron's rod. So I'm going to read Psalms 23. It's a fairly short psalm. It's just six verses. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, uh, Aaron's rod. Now, I believe Aaron was the high priest, the first high priest in, in the Mosaic Covenant. And we know from the verse uh, from Hebrews 4 that Jesus is the high priest in the New Covenant. And I want to read this passage here. This is John chapter 10, verse 11. It says, this is Jesus talking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who has, verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees the wolf, snatches them and scatters them. So anyway, so Jesus is the good shepherd. And this rod, which is held by the high priest, which in the Mosaic covenant was Aaron, in the New Covenant, it's Jesus. 
Now the last thing in the Ark of the Covenant was the manna. Now I talked about Jesus being the bread of life when I talked about the showbread, but I find this very fascinating. Uh, we're going to read more of that same passage in John chapter 6, uh, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, um, starting in verse 30. And it says, So they said to him, him is Jesus. I guess they is the Pharisees. Uh, anyway. Then what sign do you do that we may see the, and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So this is, he's talking directly about the manna, and that this manna is a physical representation of Jesus. Now, I'm going to finish this with, uh, you know, I read Hebrews chapter 9, 1 through 10 earlier, which gave the Old Covenant, uh, version of the tabernacle, a summary of it. But verses 11 through 28, I'm going to finish with this, where uh, it gives a spiritual meaning of these things. And some of this I may have already mentioned, but I'm going to go ahead and read this directly. Starting in verse 11, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify, for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God. There, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. 
And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, but then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly, eagerly waiting for him. You know, I've done a lot of scripture reading, and I really feel like that's more powerful than, than my commentary. <laughs> so when I'm doing a Bible study, I like to let the Bible speak for itself. So just the summary of this is that there was the old tabernacle and the new tabernacle. The tabernacle that was made by physical hands with physical uh, things that represent spiritual truths. And in this new covenant, that spiritual truths are revealed and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Thank you all, and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16:18. Rob, go for destruction. <laughs>